When I, that part of the service where we, we turn our eyes to God and His gospel, which means good news, in order to find there the comfort that God does genuinely offer at times like this when we find ourselves under that proverbial shadow of death. And what the gospel does is it helps us to avoid the kind of shallow uh, greeting card platitudes that we sometimes default to at times like this because we don't know what else to say when we're trying to cope with death. And the gospel can do that because in it, God has shown us how He has genuinely overcome death through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so I want us to take a look at at, uh, an account that we read in the Gospel of Luke this morning. And as we do that, we will try to leave the shallows and wade into the deeper waters of the Gospel to find its encouragement. And I will read um, from Luke chapter 7, an account that we read there, an eyewitness account of something that actually happened 2,000 years ago. just outside a city called Nain, which was built on a hill about 10 kilometers south of Nazareth, which was Jesus' hometown. And I'll begin from verse 11 of Luke chapter 7. Now it happened the day after, this is the day after Jesus had healed the servant of a centurion. The day after that Jesus went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. Well, it was a remarkable incident that took place there that day as these Two processions meet as they, one is heading out of the gates of the city of Nain, the other is heading towards the gates. And as we read this account, uh, almost as spectators to this event that took place 2,000 years ago, uh, we look up the city hill and we see coming out of the the gates of the city a procession. We, We see a funeral procession making its way ever so slowly out of the gates down the hill. And this procession is filled with grief. It's filled with mourning and sadness and heartbreak and tears. The sounds of hopelessness. And as we stop and we train our ear more closely to this procession and we listen more intently, above the other cries we hear the loud wailing of a woman. A widow, her husband, dead. And now her son, her only son, the one so dear to her heart, the one who was was the only person who gave her any joy or any purpose for living, and probably the one who would have looked after her in her old age, she too has now lost her son. He too is dead. And the tears roll down her cheeks. She weeps. She weeps and weeps as the tears roll down those wrinkled cheeks, her head bowed, her back bent, and she sobs with the kind of uncontrollable, unconsolable sobbing that perhaps some of you have experienced in these 
last days as you've mourned Lee's passing. And perhaps you haven't mourned the death of Lee in that kind of inconsolable way, but maybe there's a time in your life you can remember where you were overcome with such deep grief. Well, that is how this woman is now grieving the death of her son. But as we look at this funeral procession coming out of the city with spiritual eyes, we see another figure there that day. A dark and evil figure riding upon a pale horse leading this funeral procession out of the town. He is a a dark, evil, foul king. And his kingdom is a kingdom of hopelessness, of death, and of sadness. And he is riding in victory. He is riding with a sense of exaltation and triumph on his dark face. Because you see, this funeral procession is a tribute to him. It's a tribute to his power, to the success of his kingdom. And he's pleased at what he has done. He has taken another man captive. And there, lying in the open coffin, we see his plunder. Death has once again had his victory. And who can stop him? Who can stop death? And with that great crowd of mourners following him as he leads this procession, like a a Roman general marching into the capital city with a train of his captives behind him as those Roman generals used to do, so here we see death marching with his train behind him and the spoils of his victory in the coffin, leading them out towards the tomb where this dead young man will now be laid by his distraught mother. And perhaps this event is a fitting picture of how some of you may feel here today. Our beloved Lee, genuinely the sweetest, most patient, most unselfish person you would ever hope to meet in your life, has been conquered by death. And perhaps you may feel, as the widow of Nain did on that day, a complete hopelessness, an inconsolable grief in the face of it. You see, it is at times like this when we are faced with the cold reality of death, with the reality of it, the finality of it, that we realize that there is something shallow about those greeting card platitudes that tell us that death is kind of the natural way. It's just the circle of life. When we are faced with the reality of death and the shock and the, and the finality of it, something in our hearts tells us that death is not natural at all. Death is a foreign intruder upon the life of man. It is a curse. It is something which God never intended to be part of His creation. Somehow we know that death is not natural. To put it simply in the language of the Bible, death is an enemy. In fact, the Bible calls death the last enemy. And he is an enemy who has his day of victory in every single human life. Now, if we want to wade into the deeper waters of the gospel and find its genuine encouragements, we have to ask the question, why is it then? If God never meant for death to be part of his creation, why does death reign over mankind? Why is it so now? And is there a solution to it? Is there any hope in times of death? 
And it is in the gospel, in the good news of the kingdom of God, that he answers all of these questions for us. Firstly, the gospel diagnoses the problem correctly. The gospel tells us that death reigns over mankind because death is a judgment for sin. The Apostle Paul put it this way, this is Romans chapter 5 verse 12, that through our first father Adam, when he, when he fell into rebellion, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all, because all sinned. When Adam sinned in the garden, it was like a doorway was opened, and in through that doorway came death and now death has spread to all because we're all counted guilty in Adam and we all sin personally and fall short of the glory of God and it is this 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 terrible diagnosis of the problem that we have fallen into sin and been defeated by death it is this that leaves people all over the world with firstly a fear of death and rightly so for there is coming a judgment and secondly it leaves us with complete hopelessness in the face of the death of our loved ones. But it is here at this point when all seems lost, when the news is so dire and everything seems to be lost, it is here that we see another procession coming up the hill. And this procession is led by a man. And as we look at this procession coming up the hill with our spiritual eyes, we see that he too is a king. But his kingdom is a very different kingdom. His kingdom is a kingdom of life and of love. It is an everlasting kingdom. And as we look at this king, despite the fact that infinite power was his, despite the fact that he himself had created the world, we see that he clothed himself with humility. God himself, walking amongst us, Emmanuel, God amongst us, clothing himself with the humility of human flesh in order to come and save human flesh. And as this king walks up the hill, he is surrounded by a group of his disciples and a larger crowd, and he is approaching the gates of the city of Nain, and he is, of course, approaching the oncoming procession of death. But from the crowd that's with Jesus, all we hear is the sounds of joy, the sounds of hope, the sounds of meaning, the sounds of purpose, the sounds of victory. And of course these two processions now collide. And in this collision, if we have eyes to see, we will see more than just a collision of Jesus and a dead young man and his distraught mother. We will see the collision of the two kingdoms of this universe colliding. And as is always the case, when Jesus collides with the darkness and death and hopelessness of this world, when Jesus meets someone in their darkness, his light breaks in. And here in Christ, death himself meets his own destroyer. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, this widow, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Jesus saw her pain and he had compassion on her. God is not unmoved by the pain and suffering of this world. 
though in the final analysis the pain and suffering in this world is of, of our own making, yet God is still compassionate. Jesus did not have to heal this young man. He could have walked straight past. But even more subtly, he did not have to address the woman in a day and age when men did not address women in public. He could have just healed that young man for his own glory. But he took time. He stopped. He saw her pain. And he said to her, do not weep. Jesus feels your pain today. He knows your pain, whether it's pain over the passing of Lee or whether it's any other pain, the pain that you sit with here, anxiety, whether it's stress, whether it's relational discord, whatever your hopelessness is, maybe there's a, a health issue. God sees your pain and He cares for you. Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to collide with you. So many people spend their lives trying to avoid a collision with God. And sometimes it takes a funeral for that to happen, as it did in the life of this young man and his mother that day. And Jesus would say to you in your pain this morning, in your hopelessness, in your anxiety, He would say to you, I know your pain, I care for you, do not weep. Do not weep as if there is no hope. In this world, you will have trouble. But you can take heart because I have overcome the world. I have overcome everything that will come against you in life. If you look to me, I will walk with you through it and give you victory in it. And you don't even have to fear death. For I have overcome the grave. And with that... He says, do not weep. And then he came and he touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said to the young man, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. So these two kingdoms collide. And in this collision, the battle is now joined between these two kings, but we're not left wondering what happens is short, but it's decisive. We know who is the more powerful king and whose kingdom will last eternally. Jesus met this oncoming march of death, and he simply touched the coffin, and the whole procession of death was stopped, as if it stood for the curse of death that lies over the whole human race. The problem of sin, the problem of judgment, the hopelessness, the whole thing was stopped in its tracks by the touch of Jesus. And that is what Jesus does. When He meets sin, He brings forgiveness. When He meets hopelessness, He brings hope. When He meets death, He brings life. They stop in their tracks. And with just a few words from the king, the dead man is commanded to rise, and he does. He sits up, he begins to speak. Who can, who can raise the dead but Jesus? And Satan, the king of death, is last seen heading into the hills of Galilee with his tail tucked between his legs as he flees from the king who he knows is far more powerful than him. And Jesus, I'm sure with a smile on his face, as he had wiped the tears away from that widow's eyes, he gives the young man back to his mother, and all heaven broke into songs of joyous praise at the display of the love and power of Jesus. 
I want you to know this morning that the power of Jesus is never divorced from the love of Jesus. His kingdom is a kingdom of power. It is a kingdom in which the dead are raised, yes. But it is never divorced from the fact that his kingdom is a kingdom of love. A kingdom of compassion. Verse 16, the story ends with this comment, Then all fear, a fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. You see, this report went out throughout the region. There were many eyewitnesses that day to the raising of this young man from the dead. And then it was recorded by Luke, the historian, and we can read of that account today. This isn't a parable that we've read. This isn't some myth. This is a fact of human history. And yet, in this event 2,000 years ago, we see a rehearsal, just a single foretaste or dry run, if you will, of what will happen on a grand and global scale one day. Jesus himself said that when he returns, the dead in Christ will rise. He said there's coming a day on which all those who are in the grave will hear the voice of the Son of God as this young man heard that voice, and they will rise. There is coming a great resurrection day. And on that day, death, our last enemy, will finally be completely destroyed. And when the dead rise, then will start the kingdom of eternal life and hope. And won't that be a great day? When there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sickness. When God himself will wipe the tears away from every eye. Because he has paid the ultimate price to do away with the curse of sin and death. This is the good news of the gospel. That though the sting of death is sin. Though we die because we sin. Yet God gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now why is that? Why is there victory in Jesus? Because in what Jesus did on the cross, He brought forgiveness of sins. That's the point. He brought forgiveness for those who will look to Him in faith. When He was dying on the cross, He was not dying for His own sins. He was innocent. The only innocent man ever to have lived. He was looking down from that cross at sinners like you and me saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And there in the grave, having suffered for sin, having died the death that we should have died, dying in our place as our substitute, there in the grave, Jesus Christ squared off with death. He took on death face to face and he defeated death itself. He conquered our last enemy. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, victorious. And he now offers forgiveness of sin. He offers eternal life to anyone who will ask him. You don't have to prepare yourself in any way with any good works. Jesus himself said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. And on that day, 
when we are ushered into the, the eternal kingdom, where we will live together in community, in perfect love and perfect joy and perfect peace for all eternity, living with each other and with Him, on that day will be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, hell, where is your victory? Now it may be in hearing the words of the gospel this morning that there has been somewhat of a meeting for you between yourself and Jesus, a collision. And if there has been, and if these words have penetrated to your heart, perhaps in a way in which they have not before, I invite you to come to Jesus, put your faith in Him, and find reconciliation with God through Him as your Savior. And maybe it'll even be for someone in this room that on that great resurrection day, you will be reunited with Lee, and with joy on your faces and with laughter on your lips, you will be able to rejoice that perhaps it was even at her memorial service that you heard the words of the gospel again, and they penetrated your heart, and you made your peace with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And what a reunion that will be. And I do pray that God would do that for many of you. And for all of us, I pray that the words of the gospel, which we do have to wade into deep waters to speak about. These are not easy things to speak about. But I pray that the words of the gospel would bring genuine comfort to you today as we remember the life of you. Amen.